easier to big to slip past the Carathian wonder fleet. We'll have to send a fighter through. Impossible. There are over a thousand singularities in that quasar. To jump it would be suicide without NAVCOM coordinates. We don't need a NAVCOM. Blair? You will navigate the quasar. Angel will follow your lead. Sir, that's statistically impossible. We don't have another option. You have the gift. I don't think I can. I don't have the faith. It's not faith. It's genetics. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. Movie episode. Last week was horror. Horrific horror. This week is sci-fi. Because Ooh. we go fantasy, horror, sci-fi. And I'm going to say it every time because it helps. Fantasy, horror, sci-fi. So this is sci-fi. Next week will be fantasy. And ah. this one's a little bit of a contrast. It's not as <laughs> yeah. heavy. Uh, yeah. You know what this reminded me of? Love Bites. When we did Love Bites as a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's sci-fi. It's a movie. It was released in theaters. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. And it has a lot of big actors it in has, it. It has people in it, and they did stuff. Uh, and that movie we're watching, of course, is Wing Commander, Woo! which was released in 1999 and was based on video games. So it's a video game movie. Um, five previous video games. Yeah, when I was looking this up, I kept seeing references to Wing Commander 4, Wing Commander 2. You were like, well, I didn't oh, know it was video serious. games. Oh, was, yeah. Yeah. Video games. <laughs> I saw Wing Commander 2 and I was like, what? There's a second one? They'd be interesting to play. I think they're all pre. I don't know that they've any been released since this. Maybe this killed the series. You know Ooh, no, Franchise I, killer. I saw some references to content after this, like a spinoff animated television show and some other stuff, but. Probably because this movie, according to everything I read, had very little to do with the actual video games. Except that the enemies have the same name, and some of the characters have the same name. And they're in space. And there were quite a few parts that I think were a direct reference to the video game interface. Yes. Or the way you would have interacted with the video game. Yeah. I haven't played the video game, so I don't know, weigh in on that. But, but it, it felt like a very video video game, here's your mission. Yeah, here's your mission. Yeah, exactly. So, before we get any farther, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. <laughs> it's not what our sound. <laughs> I should just sample that and use it. Like, yeah, boop. Put it on a button. Yeah. Like our and then we could talk over it. 
need to do that with the whoosh. <laughs> Our son used the word whoosh the other day. <laughs> he goes, I'm, I'm just going to whoosh out of here. <laughs> like, aw. <laughs> I didn't realize we used it that often. Uh, well, you know, we're what, like 18 episodes into Forever Night, so we've used the word whoosh. Uh, to whoosh out of a room. Yeah. Whoosh. Yeah. It's become a verb in our house. Two whoosh. One whooshes. I have whooshed. <laughs> so this movie. <laughs> I saw this movie in theaters. And this was my first experience with seeing a movie and being like, yeah, it was okay. It was good. I was enjoy I enjoyed it. I was entertained. I mean, it was fun. There's stuff was blown up. There's bad guys and good guys and good guys won. Okay. It's a good movie. And then I think I read or I saw some critique of it. And it was like, this movie's shit. And I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> so this was my early, early foray into, oh, not everybody's going to like the same kind of stuff that I like. Or not everybody is just happy to be entertained. You know, if I had played five video games and then you made a movie of this and I was deeply invested in what this movie turned out to be, Sure. I could see how you would say this movie was shit. I've never played any of the video games. and No I, expectations. I had no expe- I have very little expectations for most movies, and that's probably my, my superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, here I am. Let's see um, if I enjoy this. No, you, you have expectations about characters making oh, yeah. stupid choices. Right. Nobody needs, unless it's character, like it fits. Right. Yeah. Then right. I'm okay. Um, I don't know. You couldn't really say if anybody made stupid decisions in this movie because nobody really makes decisions. Everything just happens to them for the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? No, there's a there's a couple parts where they make dumb decisions, but they feel like they fit the character. Right. Yeah. So this movie's set in 2654. So unlike most near future sci-fi, we got some time to get here. Um, I don't know why 600 years later, all of our fighters still look like B-52 bombers, but hey, it's fine. Or as Matt called it, a Gatling gun with wings. <laughs> yeah, a Gatling yeah. gun with wings and an engine on the back. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's space, guys. We don't need to stick to the same profiles. Our spaceships don't need I to look of like this, submarines. I thought of this as naval battles in space. Everything's on a flat plane. Yeah. The ship feels like a submarine. Yep. Which you you could make the rooms bigger. Like you don't the inside structure doesn't do much. <laughs> the hole just needs to hold air. Right. So you can spread out. Yeah. Both yeah. the Kilrathi and the human chips were all very submarine shaped. I guess that's probably a reference to the video game, but here's the part where I'm contractually obligated to mention Babylon five. And the fact that Babylon five is one of the best fighter designs. Right, because they actually consulted with space engineers yeah and then nasa actually like bought the rights to yes the to that design to that design um yeah so i just want to point that out there well i don't know i don't know somebody was like look people like world war ii you know what this reminds me of here i just had an epiphany so near dark is a vampire movie excellent yeah. vampire movie the person who made it the director Mm-hmm. didn't want to make a vampire movie. She wanted to make a Western. Mm. But it was the 80s, and every studio was like, absolutely not. The Western is dead. It's dead. Don't ask again. So she made cowboy vampires. 
a vampire western. A vampire western, which is why, like, the one character gets spurs. It's set in Texas. It feels very Wild West outlaw um, because that's the te- that's the tone she was going for. In fact, they don't say the word vampire in the entire movie. Ah. And so what it feels like is somebody wanted to make a World War II hero flick, but they couldn't justify doing that. So they were like, well, there's this video game that's kind of similar. We can have submarines. We can have bomber planes. We can have fighter pilots. Yeah, we can have battleships. We can have. We can broadside somebody. We can do all that shit. It's fine. A broadside in space. <laughs> Let's just do it in fucking space. Oh, just turn up. <laughs> Matt was like, well, uh, space exists in three dimensions. It's like, too bad they can't just go up relatively. <laughs> no, they have to go side the by side. <laughs> I know. They could have just been up 20 degrees. They could have just rotated 20 degrees and come in at a slightly different angle and they would have, they would have defeated the human fighters. Anyway, okay. So this is 2654. We'll just leave aside the fact that we haven't innovated design-wise in nearly a thousand years. We're still using CRT screens. Nokia. Nokia is still around. Nokia is making <laughs> military hardware. Oh, my God. You know what this reminded me Which of? Which is fitting because of the Nokia phone meme. Making military hardware. It's indestructible. Oh, yeah. Maybe. that I don't know. I was going to say, maybe that's a reference, but we're far away from like the Nokia being the benchmark for indestructible cell phones. It reminded me of in Blade Runner when they have all the contemporary brands like Pan Am. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, one, of, known- one of my backgrounds at work is the scene where there's the giant Coca-Cola sign on the side of the building and oh. some ships are flying in front of it. Yeah. And the lady drinks it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's actually known as the curse of Blade Runner because almost every single thing that they showed, almost every single brand, um, brand has gone out of business since. I wouldn't call Except that a for curse. for Coca-Cola. I'd call that like 30 years ago. <laughs> Time has passed. Right. Like 90, 90 some percent of businesses fail. I think Nokia is our only brand placement in Wing Commander. Except for the liquor. Oh, yeah. There's some liquor that they drink. But yeah, very. there's a part at the very beginning when they're looking at a screen and literally underneath of it, it just straight says nokia and i was like is it, did that really say nokia we had to rewind and like was that intentional or did they just have a like nokia tv <laughs> and they just didn't cover just... up the nokia like this no the props guy was no, like nokia had oh, to pay shoot, them I'd or they wouldn't have left it <laughs> so nokia probably bankrolled the film apparently this was one of the films one of the few films that had a Star Wars Episode One trailer in front of it. And so notoriously, people would pay to see the movie, go in, watch the trailer, and leave. Because <laughs> they all go in and watch the trailer. <laughs> and this movie was rushed to get out before Episode One came out. Right. Rachel was telling me about uh, people trying to ask Freddie Prince Jr. about it. Yeah. And he was like, no, I fucking hate this movie. He's like, I can't even watch a minute of it because the script they gave me was good. But then when I got on set, it was shit. (laughs) They changed the whole thing. Uh, Apparently it went through several revisions and every time it got worse. And then they ended up with only three months for post-production because they needed to get it out before Star Wars Episode One because they didn't want to be seen as derivative. Like they were hopping on the space bandwagon. Um, It's fine. (sighs) 
I think you would have been okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been fine. Apparently, it's different enough from Star Wars. Apparently, the pilgrims were invented for this movie. They're oh, not they in, weren't part of the. They're not in the video games. Ugh. <laughs> they were like, oh my god, we need thinly veiled racism. We can't use real racism. Well, let's just invent another race, and we'll make everybody angry at that race. That'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, and we'll make sure. Freddie Prince Jr. one. And then, a half-breed. Then we'll make it so literally everybody knows his parents, because the pilgrims don't look any different, and that way everyone will know he's a pilgrim. Got it. Good. Which everyone knows his parents. And I kept thinking, how small is this military? Because they're like, oh, Blair? I mean, if his last name was something way out there, sure. But this is like, oh, my God, are you Smith? Are you Lieutenant Smith's son? He could just say no. He could be like, no, that's a different Blair. Sorry. Because everybody who finds out that his dad was Blair gets irrationally angry at him because his dad married a pilgrim. And so he's a half-breed. Okay, which the pilgrims sound really fucking cool, okay? Right. Why did we kill off an entire race of people who can literally feel electronic, electromagnetic fields? Who can navigate time-space distortions instinctively. Yeah. Who can map new quasars and shit, right? I whatever mean, that means. Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> that sounds awesome. Why did we kill all those people off? I feel like you just need to negotiate a treaty, right? You don't want to be human anymore? Fine. You be pilgrims. And you do your thing, and we'll pay you for your space maps. Yeah. you. Every month, you send us a new space map. We send you money and materials and Which, whatever. It doesn't appear that there's any other habitable. We don't go to any other habitable planets. We don't go to any planets. We don't go to any planets. So why are we so far afield? What are we doing out there? And if the Defending pil- against the Kilrathi. And if the pilgrims were out there. And they were out in space too long. What were they eating? Were they going home to refuel? Did they find another habitable I imagine planet? they probably had a home planet or stations or something where they lived. Uh, maybe. But I don't know. We don't talk about it. Because the only place the Kilrathi are going to destroy is Earth. Right. There's no other human colonies. There's no, they don't stop anywhere along the way to kill anybody. Except for, there's like military outposts. Which the only right. reason the military outposts exist is because we're at war. Which we just got. And the only reason they attacked the military outpost was to get the Navcom AI. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, just because apparently the Kilrathi don't have their own way of navigating. No, they don't. They don't have a way of traveling faster than light. You have a you have a jump drive. (laughs) You have to have a jump drive to use. No, no, they don't. Yeah. No, they just fly shit into it. As he was going in, when Freddie Prince Jr. is flying and doing it by himself. He's like engaging jump drives and he flips a big lever over and then he starts. Which why does the fighter have any of that capability anyway? Because theoretically no one is able to navigate without the NAVCOM AI. If they were traveling as a convoy and the fighters were outside and they wanted to have the fighters already out when they arrived at the jump point, then the fighters can probably receive coordinates. Right. But why is there manual input? The NAVCOM AI. Uh, Because... You have to be able to uh, punch in. Th- uh, no, nope, nope, keep going. <laughs> you have to be able to punch in directions on a ten key yeah. number pad as fast as fast as you can. Literally faster than there's like, no other light because... more intuitive interface for entering <laughs> space navigation coordinates. 
<laughs> and you're literally traveling through like a hole in space time. So you need to be able to type faster than light, than the speed of whatever you're doing. Whatever. They don't really explain yeah, it. It's not. It's real, real vague. Um, but they mentioned jump drives a couple times. Yeah. And so my interpretation was you get close to a gravitational anomaly, anomaly, gravitational distortion. And then you engage the jump drive and that lets you travel faster than light somehow. Yeah. So the Kilrathi, to use the Navcom AI, they must have a jump drive. Maybe they developed the jump drive, but they couldn't, they didn't have the Navcom AI. And so they needed it. We don't know. How were they traveling? Did we just go to them and they fought us and we were like, oh, no, we're at war with them. And we just kept sending ships to their area because (laughs) (laughs) if they couldn't travel faster than light, it's going to take them hundreds of years to get to Earth to fuck around and find out. So (laughs) maybe that I don't. Okay, you know what? This isn't that movie. We're not going to get these kinds of answers. (laughs) um yeah so we start out the movie my favorite possible way to start out a movie which is a series of um exposition things over like exposition dumps we literally get this long like we're scanning over maps and the maps are blending in together and we're getting credits and in the meantime we're getting quotes some of them are real quotes, and then at a certain point, we transition to right, made up, made up news broadcast. We're moving through historical yeah. epics, and it gives us like, okay, I think everyone who writes a sci-fi movie starts with this. Okay, guys, look, look, this is going to be totally new. No one's going to have ever thought of this. It's going to be great. The human race develops space travel. We travel out into the stars. We find an alien race, and they're hostile. <laughs> And we try to make it work. I know it's blowing your mind. Wait, hold on, hold on. We try to make it work, but it doesn't work. And we end up at war. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we fight this war across the stars. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be epic. It's going to be totally original. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> because these aliens are cats. <laughs> <laughs> The last ones were lizards. These are cats. Completely <laughs> novel. Completely different. Um, this is not it enemy mine at all. It changes the entire dynamic Mm-mm. of the movie. Exactly. Yep. Because they're cats. Like from Earth cats. Because they even have claws. That <laughs> <laughs> was like, of course they have retractable claws. Because they're just like cats from Earth. <laughs> I said maybe they came to Earth and turned into cats. Yeah. Those are their spies. Oh, so the way space travel works in this world is we jump through anomalies, space-time anomalies, gravity wells, pulsars, quasars, anything, whatever, whatever fucking thing we feel like. We just fly straight at a star and fly through it. It's fine. As long as you have the Navcom AI. And a jump drive. And a jump drive. According to you. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. They have jump drives. When, Sometimes. When they need some filler material. Yeah, I think it was like to let you know he was going through the jump. And at this point, who, who gave a shit whether it made sense or not? They were just like, I don't know, just finish the movie. It doesn't matter. Uh, and supposedly the Navcom AI is the copy, is a copy of one pilgrim's brain. Well, it's 
it's a replication of how a pilgrim instinctively navigates. So is but this it's thing, not as good. They call it the Navcom AI. Is it actually an artificial intelligence? Hey, good question. That can't, or does it sound good? Yeah. That If so, it doesn't have any kind of an output where it can talk to anything. So you literally created this super intelligent thing capable of navigating you through space-time anomalies. And you don't use it for anything else. And you don't use it for anything else. It's literally trapped in its own mind. So probably if you could interface with this thing, it would be batshit insane, which is That's why... That's probably why it's not very efficient. Yeah. Because it's like, I'm so fucking bored. <laughs> I am trapped in this car battery, which is literally hooked up with two wires. <laughs> Why there's is- one wire for the inputs, yeah. and there's one wire for the output coordinates. <laughs> I mean, there's some more coming off the side, kind uh, of, it's just ostensibly. For power. And wh- I get why it's in like a... A shell. I don't know. You know what? I don't know because everyone in this ship is supposedly human and safe and can have the Navcam AI. Why is it behind like bulletproof, shatterproof glass? First of all. Second of all, they try to destroy it. So, right at the very beginning, the Kilrathi attack this battleship and they're doing it to get the Navcom AI. So, one of the first things they try to do, the first things that humans try to do, is self destruct this Navcom computer right um because that way the kilrathi can't get it but the self-destruct but the self-destruct has been hacked oh it has they are like the internal systems are hacked it's not working have you guys not watched Battlestar galactica you do not network your computers (laughs) well they haven't they haven't faced a cybernetic race yet. well that thing needs to be on an isolated system right that's bad system design. That, yeah. If your self-destruct functionality is connected to the network. Yeah, if you could literally hack into the the cafeteria systems and get into the the Navcom AI. You you have deep problems with the way this whole thing was designed. Beside the fact that some reason you're shaped like a submarine for no fucking reason to make you streamline okay, in space. So there's there's one reason to make the spaceship a long tube. And that's because you have the engines at the back and you need just one strong line of supporting structure mm. for the ship. So the ship needs to be along the axis that the engines are pushing. But beyond that, you, the thing <laughs> is a pressure vessel. A cylinder is a very efficient pressure vessel. Yeah, so is a sphere. So if you fill it with pressurized gas... It supports itself, so the internal walls don't even need to be there. It could just be one big empty bottle of air with a rocket on the back. The rooms can be as big and open as you want. It's to make sure that these um, fighter pilots don't start to think they're important, because as we le- <laughs> <laughs> as we learned through the course of the movie, they're not. They're not. They're not. They're not. So at the very beginning, we do get a 3D, 3D radar. Despite the fact that we're never going to move in three dimensions again, their radar is yeah. here, which I think is really interesting. Yes. And then the Kilrathi are able to sneak up. I wonder on them. if that's from the video game it interface. Could be. Yeah, it could be. Um, and the Kilrathi are able to sneak up on them because this guy gets up to go refill his coffee. It's because they they sneak up from <laughs> underneath. Well, he looks down and his coffee cup's empty, so he gets up and as he walks away, we see like boop. Boop, 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 boop. We and see there, the like, no contact appear on the radar. Yeah. Alerting. He's the only guy looking at the radar screen. The Nokia branded radar screen. 
So the Kilrathi get the Navcom AI because the guy tries to shoot it. He can't shoot it. It's behind bulletproof glass. They try to blow it up. They can't blow it up. He tries to bang it with the butt of the rifle, <laughs> and that just scratches the plexiglass. There's no door into this room. How do they repair it? What happens if one of those wires comes off? It repairs itself. <laughs> like, shit, that's it. We're done. We can't go home. <laughs> It's just, okay. Oh, you know what? Accept it. Accept it. Uh, This is, how did the Kilrathi get it? If the humans couldn't even get in there to get it, how'd the Kilrathi get it? I guess they had enough time. They they were able to get in there and get it. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, they got it. Anyway, they got it. And so this other ship, who, I don't know. And Admiral. Tolwyn. Tolwyn is on Pegasus Station. And he sends out. A message. Yeah, that the Kilrathi have gotten. Well, no, they get the message from Pegasus. Uh, because Pegasus gets completely destroyed. And so Admiral Tolwyn gets this message. That oh, Admiral Kilrath- Tolwyn is not on Pegasus. No, he's on another oh, that's ship. Right. He's in, on the head of the fleet ship. And that's right. for some reason, the entire battle fleet is <laughs> away. <laughs> well, you know why? Because the Kilrathi can't get to Earth. So it doesn't matter. Right. So we have taken the fight to the Kilrathi. We could have literally just been like, you guys keep this, this, whatever. We're going to go around in the whole rest of space because we can travel faster than you. And you guys just hang out here. We'll catch you in a couple hundred years when you finally get to us. It'll be fine. Um, but for some reason, we've taken the fight to the Kilrathi. And we're how, there. How about this? Here's a speculation to justify the situation with the Kilrathi. Okay. They have jump drives. Yeah. But they can't navigate new anomal- gravitational anomalies on the fly. Yeah. Like the Navcom AI can. They probably have to do a whole bunch of measurement up front and map it out. And then, okay, we have this one jump point that we know how to use and navigate. And it can get us this far. Mm. And so they their network of roads expands very slowly okay whereas the navcom ai lets the humans just be like i'm just gonna run this way through the woods they can only go through previously mapped things too well they only do yeah but like they find the one and their navcom ai is like oh i'm trying to navigate this but you're kind of heading the wrong direction yeah and so it's trying to give them directions but it's uh, wrong Right. Yeah. Because it's it's doing what a pilgrim brain does. Right. Which is detect, just feel the it just feel time int- and space. Into it your way. Just get out your crystals. I, line I them feel up. like you need to go to the left a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I realize right? this so is a high stakes thing. They can just find fine. new gravitational anomalies. Yeah. And be like, oh, given a little bit of time, my Navcom AI can find a stable route through here. It may not be the fastest one. Okay. But I can I can go anywhere I want and and use use the roads that are already here. Okay. All right. And the pilgrims can use them very efficiently. Yeah, could until they were could. almost all wiped out yeah. by the previous war. So I think the Kilrathi do have some amount of faster than light travel but 
they just don't have roads that connect. They don't have established roads that connect to Earth area yet. You know what? Let's go with that. It makes a lot more sense. I don't care if it's right. We're going to go with that. And since the Kilrathi now have a Navcom AI, they're headed straight for Earth because they just want to pluck this infection out at the source, I guess. And they have, they are going to get there in 40 hours. And the fleet is far enough away that they are going to get to Earth in 42 hours. And Earth cannot hold them off for two hours. Right. So Admiral Tolwyn, who is David Warner from Tron. Who's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. He's, he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys. Yeah. He's also in um, My Best Friend is a Vampire. It's really hard <laughs> to see him as a good guy because he does such a convinc- he he portrays such a malicious character yeah, he's as very rarely MCP. A good guy. He's a good guy at the end of My Best Friend is a Vampire. Well, right. But because he and, gets turned into a vampire. Yeah. Ooh, that was a spoiler. I'm so sorry. Oops. I'm such a bad person. Are we going to do that movie? Absolutely. We're going to fucking do that movie. <laughs> this blood's for you? Yes. We're going to do that movie. Future's so bright. <laughs> you could be shades. <laughs> and it's got Renee Abergeois in it. Oh, yeah. Odo is in it. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. I say that. I mean it. I'm going to make a t-shirt that just says, it's a good movie. Put it up on a merch store. The good movies, Bron. The good movies, Bron. <laughs> They're all good movies. Um, yeah. So Tron guy is like, oh no, we're not going to make it. We need to. De- we need to delay the the fleet. But and they're in the Vegas system, and we can't get there. What's the best possible way well, to so do this? There's a small group of ships. There's a small group of ships that in their in their communications range, they can send a message to this ship. Which can then fly to another convoy, whatever, yeah, mini fleet, and tell them to go to Earth, and or uh, they can intercept the Kilrathi fleet. Yeah, they got to delay it two hours. Right. Yeah. So they have they pick a ship nearby and say, "You guys are going over to this yeah. group of." human ships. He literally goes, what do we have? And the guy goes, oh, we have the Diligent, which is a merchant vessel vessel that we've commandeered for use. And they're taking replacement pilots to this other ship called the Tiger Claw, which is still in the Vega system. And it's close enough that it can intercept the Kalrathi fleet. And at first, none of this really makes sense. It's not supposed to. And it also doesn't make sense later, but it doesn't make sense at first either. At no point are anybody's motivations ever really clear in this movie, because for some reason this guy is on a merchant vessel that has been commandeered to take these pilots, but he's also a super secret spy. He's a civilian pilot. Yeah. But he's also the commandant of naval intelligence. (laughs) Yes. Who reports directly to Admiral Tolwyn. And he has a call sign. And a French accent. And a French accent. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he's flying this ship called the Diligent. And don't try to make sense Mm. out of this. Just experience it. So we we first heard this guy's name. Oh, it's Captain Taggart. And I'm like, Taggart, Taggart. James Taggart, no less. James Taggart. Yeah. Like James and Dagny Taggart from Atlas Shrugged. Exactly. (laughs) And I was like, oh, is this a reference to Atlas Shrugged? Well, if this guy is like 
a deadbeat who gets other people to do his work for him. Yeah. Then this was this would be a perfect reference to Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. But no, he's he's a nice charismatic guy who's competent and whatever. Yeah, and here we meet our slightly less successful bro couple of uh Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard. <laughs> so <laughs> this first scene where you see Matthew Lillard. <laughs> I was like, man. Matthew Lillard just has, like, massive fuck-around-and-find-out energy <laughs> in, like, every role that he has. It's his face. And is it his face? I think it's his Maybe. face. Maybe. Is it just his vibe? default vibe, his default way of acting? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. He, they're but like... he, he's so good at it. Right. So it's almost like he gets typecast. He does, and he's really embraced that role, and I think it's really worked for him. Yeah, it really works for him. Um, They're like the Ben Affleck and Matt Damon of the mid to late nineties. Yeah, Um, (laughs) they were. I mean, they were. That's a really good. They were in Scooby Doo together. They've been in a lot of stuff together, and they're friends. And they're together in this movie. Um, I think every morning to prepare for this role, Freddie Prince Jr. walked into his bathroom, made a confused face. And an angry face and a shocked face. And then was like, done. Covered the entire spectrum. <laughs> Covered the entire spectrum of my character's emotional <laughs> range. And then he just walked off content to begin work for the day. Which, to be fair, and maybe Matthew he Matthew Lillard it. probably hid behind the coffee machine in the break room. Yeah, no, Matthew and Lillard And then jumped out and prepare. poked somebody in the eye. Matthew Lillard didn't <laughs> have to prepare. He just showed up and was Matthew Lillard. Yeah. He's this character in everything. He's this character in Hackers. He's he's shaggy in Scooby Doo. He's probably this character in real life. Yeah, although I love the fan theory that Shaggy is actually like an extra-dimensional being. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the Scooby Doo Shaggy memes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Highly recommended. Do go look those up. Oh yeah, and Admiral Tolwyn asks to talk directly to Blair because Blair, who is Freddie Prince Jr. and Mitchell or Marshall who is um, Matthew Lillard's character, are on the diligent with the civilian pilot, who is also a super secret spy, but we don't find that out till later. And they are on their way to the Tiger Claw. So Admiral Tolwyn can... Tolwyn used to serve with Blair's father. Everyone fucking served with Blair's father. Because he's like, well, I knew your father, and he was a good man. That's why I'm trusting you to carry this message. Because he gives them an encrypted message. Which... Okay, maybe they, yeah, okay, they got okay, the message okay. and they recorded so, Ra- it. On Rachel the... and I were talking about this. Yeah. And she wanted to know how could he encrypt the message for Poirot to decrypt? Yeah. And I was like, I'll explain public key encryption on the podcast. Oh my God. Rather than so right ready. in the moment while we're watching yeah. the movie. Okay. So the way this works is you generate a a big random number, and that's your public key. And you use that as your kind of cipher when you encrypt your message. But because it's a a big number, you have, um, like, you can do math stuff to it, and you have your private key, which is this really big number, and then you have your public key, which is like a factor of that number. And so you can run it through an algorithm with the public key and verify that it was encrypted by that private key. 
imagine you have like everybody makes a public key and a private key. Everybody keeps their private key private. Mm-hmm. And you give everybody a copy of your public key. And you say, this public key is for me. Mm-hmm. You know, this public key is for Matt. This public key is for Rachel. I can use Rachel's public key because I have a copy of it because she's given a copy to everybody. I can use that to encrypt some payload. Everybody can tell that it's been encrypted with Rachel's public key, but only Rachel's private key can decrypt it. So that way, Admiral Tolwin can record a message, and then he can encrypt it with, I don't actually know the guy's David name. David Suchet's. David yeah. Suchet's character's name. Yeah. So I'm just going to call him Poirot. Okay, so <laughs> Tolwin can encrypt a message using Poirot's public key, because everybody has a copy. They know this is Poirot's public key. And then he can hand that off, send that to Blair with another just video recording for Blair to say, take this encrypted message to yeah. uh, Poirot. And then when Poirot receives it, he says, oh, okay. Puts it on his computer. And then here's my private key. Decrypt the encrypted message. And... Um, and then he can get the decrypted video. Yeah. The other thing Tolwin can do is Tolwin can use his private key to say, here's the encrypted payload. I'm going to use my private key uh, and run the encrypted payload through it and create a signature. Mm. And so now I have an encrypted file that only Poirot can decrypt and a signature that says this exact payload it was kind of approved or labeled mm. with Tolwin's digital signature. Digital signature, and then when Poirot receives it, he can take that signature and verify that this signature was generated by Tolwin's private key. Yeah. So only Tolwin could have generated this signature. So that means the data in this payload has not been modified since he signed it. Yeah. So oh, this exact payload was, was approved by yeah. uh, Tolwin, and only Poirot can decrypt it. Yeah, and this is all relevant because they get this thing to the tiger claw. They get this mini disc. Yeah, let, let lecture over. <laughs> yeah. Now. Now let's talk about why we just now, talked about all that. Okay, because, because they get this message and Poirot immediately trusts it. Right. right? Well, Poirot does. They give him this mini disc. It's a mini disc. Who had a mini disc player? I didn't. Did you have a mini disc player? Um, my high school had a radio station. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play mini discs on that? Uh, yeah, we had a mini disc player, and we used it for like sound effects. Um. Uh, because short audio clips, um, were uh, kind of the most common yeah. format on mini discs. Yeah. So we we had a mini disc player. <laughs> and so we'd cue up the sound effect. It was kind of like Betamax. Beep. We were all trying to figure out what the next step after tapes were. And we had CDs and kind of had MP3 CDs and mini discs. But this is a mini disc, which dates this movie horrendously. I don't yeah. know why they chose physical media for this. <laughs> uh, but they give the mini disc to her. I like it when they do crystals. Anything. Anything but like a. Okay, can somebody run down to Best Buy and buy a pack of mini discs? Right, and then just use some sandpaper and scrub off the MIDI, yeah, like branding stuff. Probably, um, what's the one where the guy's sitting in the chair? Oh God, 
forgot it now. It's not Bose, is it? No, it's not Bose. It's another one. Well, anyway, they go and take this May disc to Poirot. Quit distracting me. And he's like, okay, great. Um, here's our orders. You know, the fleet is the Kilrathi fleet is on their way to Earth. We have seconds to spare. We need to start reacting right now because we need to catch this fleet and we need to delay it to save everyone on Earth. And the second in command is like, do we though? <laughs> Jurgen is like, this is hella sus. Yeah, because we can't have an entirely created race without having a racist. And our second in command fulfills that role. He is wildly obnoxious. Okay, so when everybody's like very prejudiced about um, Blair, when they yeah. find out he's a pilgrim, they're all immediately antagonistic against him. Yes. And I'm like, oh, wow, the, the military propaganda machine is alive and well in, yeah. in Wing Commander. And I was thinking it's a useful thing for a military culture to have a scapegoat as a common enemy to unite everyone. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that backfires if a member of that stereotype group is like the only person that can save you. Yeah. And you're all immediately suspicious of him right. because he's part of this. You've all been, you know, um, uh, you've all been trained and educated that these guys are bad and Which, they're, they're all traitors and yeah. whatever. Um, and most people, it's just like, uh, a little bit of prejudice. Right. Right. But Jurgen, um, like Lieutenant Commander, something, something, <laughs> something. I'll just call him Jurgen. Jurgen. Uh, Jurgen is a true believer. Yeah. In the propaganda. Right. And he's like the only one. Right. Eventually, everybody else is like, "Okay, we don't need to escalate this anymore." Which let me take a moment and comment on the bold choice of having the wildly racist character be both ethnically German extremely german and have a german accent yeah and he is the only german character in the entire movie and he is our most hateful of all characters every time uh matt every time freddie prince jr's character blair tries to do anything he's immediately like nope he's only doing that because he's a pilgrim and we know pilgrims are responsible. Are you sure we can trust him because of his background? Yeah, we know pilgrims are responsible for sabotaging blah, 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 blah. So we waste a lot of time because David Suchet, um, <laughs> just gonna go, Poirot, knows that he has, like, they need to get going right now. But as soon as his second in command is like, but is this a real message? Is it? I feel like this is a situation where you need to act as if it's real because the consequences of not acting are far higher. But we spend a lot of time being like, I don't know. Is it true? And this is when we get our first hint that Taggart may not be exactly who he says he is because he pulls out a little baggie and he dumps out this ring and he hands the ring to Poirot. Yeah. And Poirot's like, Yep, that's oh, it. Yep. It's real. Let's go. We're doing it. Come on, we're go. Let's plot a course. We're gonna do this. And Jurgen's like, what the hell? I know the Jurgen's like, the ring means nothing. And Poirot's very, very emphatically 
<laughs> yeah. There's like, literally nothing that could have This is what this is when a character like that gets really frustrating. Is literally no matter what, they don't believe you. And that's this character. Right. Th- there is nothing that was ever going to make him believe that Blair was telling the truth. Once they get underway and the captain gives an order, he drops it. So he's got that going for him. But he always takes a moment to question and it always causes a delay. Right. And so um Castigir plots a he's Castigir? not Castigir in this. He's um <laughs> we're terrible. This is what happens when two neurodivergent people try to have a podcast where they have to remember names. <laughs> um he's Castigir in Highlander. The the um Tanger? No, uh Odulu or whatever his name is in Obutu? this. Obutu. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Odulu. Okay. <laughs> Obutu. Obutu. Yeah, yeah, he's in episode one, actually, and he's in this. And he's in, he's Castigir. So if the one okay, guy I, is I remember Poirot, Castigir from Highlander. Then he's going to be yeah. Castigir. Uh, they end up plotting a course. All right, let's go. We're going to try to delay the Kilrathi fleet. That's our entire purpose. We have to stop them for at we least two hours. We have to slow them hours. down for two slow hours. Them down. Um, because the ship, the fleet, the entire battle fleet is rushing as fast as they can back to Earth. It's our job to try to buy them time. We're not going to do that. But that's theoretically what we're supposed to be doing. This whole movie is about how they're not quite doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> uh, well, after this, we just react from here on out. We're not actually there's no agency for anybody after this. But um, we get a bit more Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard after this, and it occurred to me that Freddie Prince Jr. really had like the '90s look. 90s early 2000s because you couldn't put a beard on freddie prince jr and make him look relevant today he wouldn't look um rugged enough he doesn't have a rugged look he's not not handsome but he's very like pretty handsome right and we really segued into rugged handsome which is probably why we're not seeing we he drops off so precipitously he also gets happily married to sarah michelle geller and they've been together for and like they've been ever, together and for like super cute. 20 years. Yeah. And they have kids and it's super cute. And they got married barefoot, which I remember reading about that. And I was like, Fuck yes. <laughs> barefoot is legal.com. Yeah. Barefoot is legal. <laughs> and uh, we missed the part where they go through this gravity well. So for the diligent to catch up with the tiger claw, they go through this gravity well called Scylla, named Scylla. And they're able to jump through this gravity well and get to the tiger claw almost immediately. Because? Because Freddie Prince Jr. can navigate it. Instinctively. Instinctively. We're going to see Scylla again, and we're going to tackle this question. Matt and I had to pause the movie and have a fight about this. (laughs) And we're going to have another one when we get there. But it's not going to happen right now. So we go through this gravity well. Anyway, Just this is important for later information. And... Now the tiger claw needs to get ahead of the fleet because they've lost some time. They got to catch up. And Taggart is like, well, you're in luck. I know a faster way. I know a route we can take. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. That's not, that one is not, that's unstable. It's not proven to be okay. And they're like. It's not on our charts. It's not on our charts. And Taggart's like, fuck your charts. I know what I'm doing. Let's go. And I have the coordinates for it. Since he had the ring. Poirot is like. All right, lead the way. Lead the way, man. So they go. And of course, the second in command is like, this is craziness. We need to turn around. We we need to go. We can't. This is not okay. We need to turn around. And David Suchet is like, steady as you steady as you were. Stay on course. Because everything starts to shake. We get a little 
crazy. And for some reason, Lieutenant Blair and his wing commander, which there's more than one wing commander, but that's okay. They're in the bridge with them at this time. And Matthew Lillard right. and all the rest of the fighters are in the like mess hall. And we get bullet time. As soon as we pass into the pulsar, I think it's a pulsar, um, time stops for a minute. And we get a bullet time like rotating around everybody, which this was new technology in 1999. The Matrix was like the first one to pioneer this. Yeah. And they take, they have like a row of like 100 cameras. Yeah. And they all take a picture at the same time. And then you can sequence And then it. you can move those frames. Yeah. Like I remember video. watching a documentary about like, how did we do this yeah, for the Matrix? It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Uh, they were like, yeah, we literally just set up like a hundred cameras in a row and flashed them all at the same time. It's one of those things where it feels ubiquitous now. Yeah. But at the time, it was super revolutionary. Yes. Uh, and because it was super revolutionary and it's been copied so many times, now it feels derivative. Right. But if you put on your context lenses, this would have been one of the first times you saw that effect. Yep. Uh, it doesn't save the movie, but it's there. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they get to this system, and we're going to spend a lot of time in this system. I don't know why. Things remain unclear, but they they are like, oh, it's an asteroid belt. We should probably check that out because the Kelrathi are known for like sneaking around in asteroid belts. So they send Blair and... Devereaux, I think is her name. Uh, Angel was her call sign. Yeah, an angel. And they fly to the asteroid belt. And they're just, I don't know, shooting the shit, flying around. And they get a Kilrathi contact. But it's just Blair and Angel. Right, because they're on like a scouting mission. And so they hide behind some asteroids, try to go all silent mode because this is naval battles in space. And you have to do the submarine. They can't ping me if they can't hear me thing. Uh, but they spot Angel. And so Blair comes out of hiding. They attempt- Blair Warren. He he um he notices that she's been targeted. Yeah. But her alerts, her like targeting. She turned off detection, everything. Right. Yeah, including her computer. Isn't working. It's turned she off. She turned it off, yeah. So he just knows. Because maybe because of his pilgrim instincts. Well, he has his stuff on. But he he can see them immediately moving toward her. Yeah. Yeah. So he pilgrimed it. He pilgrimed it, or <laughs> he like pops the up. Force. He pop. Yeah. No, it's not the force. <laughs> not. No. It's definitely not the force. It's the electromagnetic fields, and he pops out from behind this asteroid, and, and he, starts. He shooting. tells Devereaux. Yeah. Get out of there. And they try to shoot a missile at this communication ship because that's what this is. Communication ship with escorting fighters. And they know, okay, so here's a giant ass communication ship. It looks like it's sending out coordinates. It's a floating satellite dish in space. It's clearly connected to the Kilrathi fleet. It's sending out something, some kind of powerful signal to the, the they, entire No, they say fleet. it looks like it's sending out coordinates. Yeah. And then they're like, you know what? That's probably not, a, that's not important. I don't think that's going to delay the... That's not going to delay anything. It's going to be fine. It's fine. It's fine. We're just going to, you know, it's fine. We're just going to ignore that. You know what? Actually, they do go back and attack it. They're attempting to attack it because they go back and we get our second command who's like, are you sure it saw you? Or did you just believe Blair when he said it saw you? We all know the Pilgrim sabotage. You guys were the, supposed to be stealthy. What, what, what do they call it? The con, confed? Yeah, con- confe- confederated ships or whatever. Yeah. The Terran Confederation. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. So we get our moment of racism because we just had to throw that in there. It's fine. And he's wearing a cross, which I think is really interesting because we really just were like, you know what? We're going to hit a lot of overtones here. Religious, race. We're going to hate him for a lot of reasons. Uh, so they decide that they're going to try to destroy this communication satellite because that will slow down the that will slow down the convoy. And so they go, they send out all of their fighters, which Taggart is like, don't, don't do that. If you send out all your fighters, they're your only means of defending yourself. They'll be gone. We'll just be right. There's ducks. like three fighters left. Or yeah. Four. I don't know. And Jurgen is like, um, sorry, I didn't see the part where you were on this crew and you got an opinion. You're just a civilian. And contractor. Taggart's like, uh, yeah, okay, but I'm telling you that this is a bad idea. I just have this uh, intuitive sense that has nothing to do with anything about the fact that I'm a secret, like, secret agent. Uh, it just is... Use the force. My pilgrim sense is... <laughs> <laughs> I read some electromagnetic fields, I cast some runes, and I really think that this is a bad idea. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, if you think it's such a bad idea, then you need to go with the fighters. And he does. What kind of... This guy isn't even military. He hasn't pulled rank yet. There's literally no reason why they should be able to order a civilian to That's fly true. in formation yeah. with these fighters. If anything, he's a liability. He's not a fighter pilot. Yeah, he's... he could get them killed. He could lose this. They have very limited resources. If a plane gets blown up, a plane gets blown up. So they fly to this asteroid field accompanied by James Taggart for some reason. And they get a contact. And Taggart is like, nope, that's a supply ship that they left behind. Right. I think on their scanners, it shows up as really big. Yeah. But then visually, it's small. And he's like, shoot, they're faking having a big ship by having this thing. Which, it's a radar technique. You You can put something small out there that is really reflective to radar yeah. and it shows up really big on radar because you get a strong reflection from it yeah and so it's a way of having like a decoy ship and they they use this a couple other times yeah they send off a decoy a buoy a, yeah they said it's uh, a buoy it's when, a little when they land in the crater they're like the decoy is out it reminds me of in um firefly when they have crybaby operation crybaby That's exactly and they what drop it is. the little thing that transmits a distress signal. Yeah, it probably has a huge reflection for yeah. for active scanning and and it's transmitting something so it looks on radar like a ship. Yeah. And it's sending signals like a ship and well Paladin ain't fooled. Right. Paladin ain't fooled. Paladin's like I know what's up. Because Paladin being James Taggart. He, could you stop? We're going <laughs> to the electromagnetic force. The electromagnetic force, exactly. Um, it told him that this was uh, this was a lie, that this was a, a switcho changeo, and so he tells <laughs> Devereaux. <laughs> he tells Devereaux that the ships, the the it's actual, a bait and switch. It's a bait and switch. <laughs> he tells Devereaux that, and she's like, again. You are not military. And he's like, then why am I in this fucking military plane? Which is what he should have said. But what he does say is, actually. actually where does a mansplainer get his water? From a well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, actually, uh, my call sign is Paladin. Here's my code. Look me up. And luckily, her onboard computer has a record of all deep 
undercover spies who have been flying tiny spaceships <laughs> on cargo missions for no particular reason. You know what? It's a good cover. If you're just a random little ship, you can get a lot of places. Especially so. if you're the head of naval intelligence. Right. Is he the head of naval intelligence? Yeah, he's the commodore in so charge of naval is intelligence. He out in- <laughs> right. He, the commodore yet of naval another, intelligence isn't a spy. Yeah, another they coordinate the spies to risk him, well, not to risk himself by being out in this fighter pilot. Which I love when they're talking to them and the pilot is like moving oh, yeah. all around, like, like they're bob- there's bobbling. There's some turbulence in the like air. Like they're on the waves, right? Yeah. Like they're. <laughs> It's space. There's so many like sea metaphors. Yeah. Or um, artifacts of what it's like to fight in the ocean. That's why I'm telling you, they wanted to make a naval battle movie. That's exactly what they And they couldn't is. get it approved. And they were like, then it, I'm going to fucking set it in space. But you watch. I'm going to do it anyway. So after she realizes, he pulls rank. After he pulls rank, they turn around and go back. And of course, he's right. And so there's a fight. They drive off the Kilrathi fighters. They're in retreat. And previously established, Marshall, who is now Maniac, call sign, and Rosie, this other fighter pilot, have... They're hooking up. They're got... They've gotten close. But they they have, like, huge... Big dick energy. Like, bro competition energy. Yeah. And we had previously seen it when they land going too fast. And they do a spin in the landing area. Yeah. And now we see it Do a as... barrel roll. <laughs> Watch out, Fox. <laughs> <laughs> and so now we see it, but instead they're chasing these Kilrathi fighters. Right. The Kilrathi are retreating. The Terran forces are going back to the ship, but Marshall and Forbes yep. are like, nah, I'm going to show you up by showing you how bigger my balls are so maniac ends up playing chicken with one of the kilrathi fighters and rosie slash forbes is concerned about him so she's too close to him when he finally kills the kilrathi and she gets hit by the debris she gets hit by the debris and she initially survives and he's like it's okay just eject i'll tractor you back to the ship and she's like no my eject's not working well she she says nah i don't need that as well she tries to eject, but then she but tries to work. eject anyway yeah it doesn't work and she's like well it's cool like i'll, I'll just fly it in like i'll this. fly it in like this and he's like okay well i'm gonna accompany you all the way back so she goes to land herself and she ends up crashing on the deck just outside the air shield right and so maniac is able to land because he lands and gets out and he immediately run, runs to try to save her. He's like, let's get a medic. Let's get this ship inside the airfield so we can get her out and see if she's okay. And no one is listening to him. They're all trying to stop him from running out because he loves her. He likes her. He yeah, wants, their chemistry was really good. Yeah, and he's trying to get to her. And um, Blair stops him. And nobody else seems really concerned that this fighter pilot has crashed on the runway. And Devereaux, who is or Angel... Who's is, still out flying. Is still out flying. And she's like, Rosie? R- Rosie? Rosie? And when Rosie doesn't answer, she Shit, goes, she's dead. She's like, well, did everything. We, we tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, get that wreckage off the deck because nobody else can land, even though Matthew Lillard landed. Okay, so I thought they were going to like, I don't know, return something or 
retract but for, the even runway for parts, or something. Even for right? parts, you wouldn't keep this. The ship, ship is mostly intact. <laughs> There's you are in space. You have a finite number of resources. There's literally no reason why you would leave any kind of resource behind. And they shove this ship. Okay, so they send out a basically a bulldozer. Yeah. To push it off the runway. And it falls because there's gravity pulling down, apparently. But why didn't you have the bulldozer push it into the airlock? The bulldozer has to come back anyway. Right. It would. Also, they shove it off the side and it falls. This is space. (laughs) This is space. It doesn't sink to the bottom of space. There are several problems with this scene, which we immediately identified. <laughs> I told Rachel, this is this is to generate some emotional conflict with uh, Marshall. And I said, if you can't generate your own conflict, store-bought is fine. Store-bought is fine. If we had at least, I don't know. You know what? It's fine. It's, it, uh, this reminded me of Enemy Mine. When they have the conveyor belt full of dead bodies and the like, the um, dispenser full of wreaths, and they just dump oh, the yeah. body and dump yeah. a wreath, dump the body and dump a wreath. This reminds like these people are a disposable resource, right? They shouldn't be because space travel is not instantaneous. But regardless, Rosie's gone, and this really undermines the confidence of Maniac. And since Maniac was only there to generate tension up until now, we really don't ever see him again. <laughs> right. I mean, Angel goes and talks to him to right. get him so back there's, out. There's this culture in the fighter pilot community where if you die, you never they just existed. say you never existed. Yeah. And super healthy, great coping mechanism. Yeah, definitely not Excellent way to ensure long-term emotional health for all of your fighters. But everybody's on board, including Devereaux. Yeah. And Matthew Matthew Lillard, or I guess. Maniac. So Marshall Maniac apparently is the most emotionally mature person (laughs) on the flight crew because they're like, fuck your game. I'm not playing it. Yeah. Stop that. Yeah. She existed and now she's gone and it sucks. I don't want to hear that she never existed. And it's important that she existed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to play that fucking game. Don't play it with me. And... Yeah, he is the most emotional. And so Freddie Prince Jr. is like, oh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. That- oh, okay. Well, I was doing what everybody else was doing, but if you're not doing it too, then I guess I don't have to do it too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I guess you convinced me. I've had a growth moment. Now I'm going to go share this growth moment with Devereaux. Yeah. So- and so then Devereaux goes to Marsh- uh, yeah, Marshall and because she needs good pilots, whatever. Apparently yeah. he's good. And so she's convincing it. He's good or whatever. And she's like, I need you out there. I need all my best pilots. He's like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the best pilot. And she goes, does everyone around here think I go around making suggestions? (laughs) I was like, girl, same. Same. That's a a new quote for Rachel. (laughs) I'm going to be hearing that a lot. I bet the kids are going to be hearing that a lot. Do you think I'm making a suggestion? Because it really felt like an order. But But then she's kind of leaving and then she turns around and is like do it for rosie do it for rosie but this is and after rose had a growth moment yeah this is after we rebuffed the fighters but there is still several 
large Kilrathi ships in this area that they need to hide from. So we pull up, go to the bottom of the ocean, and sit <laughs> down there and hope that their sonar <laughs> is confused by the topography of the planet. So they go and hang out in a crater. And the Kilrathi ship does exactly what you would do if you were in the ocean and you were trying to find a... Like so flush out. Flush out another submarine is they drop death charges. Right. So they just <laughs> bomb all the craters. Which I just want to point out that every single piece of my naval uh, naval warfare knowledge is from Operation Petticoat and... <laughs> down Periscope. <and> down Periscope. <laughs> <laughs> so if I am inaccurate, you're going to have to address Hollywood, not me. Uh, so they're dropping depth charges. They're nuking the craters um, to try to find them. And they end up almost hitting them. And it causes like a hole in the ship. We decompress. We lose fuel. Shit happens. A lot happens. And now they are crippled. They're, they've succeeded in hiding. But they have five hours of um, life support left. And they have no fuel. Almost no fuel. And at this point, everybody knows that Taggart is paladin because he was like, look, my dick right. is Jurgen, way bigger. Jurgen my... refers to him as Commodore. Yeah. He's like, my dick is way bigger. My brain's even bigger than my dick. And clearly you guys don't know what the fuck is happening. Poirot is injured and there's absolutely no way I am letting Jurgen run this ship. And so he's like, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. There's another ship up there and that's going to be our salvation because it's got right. fuel they cells. They sent out a decoy and the Kalrathi fleet all... Followed the decoy, except yeah. for the one ship that was bombing them. Right. And he's like, this ship is going to be our salvation because it has fuel cells, which are compatible with our fuel cells. Apparently. Use the same chemical, comp everything about it, it's plug and play. We can just take their fuel cells and go doop and stick it in our fuel cells and everything's going to be fine. So they get out, they get in their fighters. This is when we get Matthew Lillard out of his funk. And we're going to the Kilrathi ship to get on it. I think they actually use the diligent for this. They're going to get on it. They're, they're a boarding party, basically. They're going to land, get in the thing. And we don't really talk about where the other ship has gone, but it turns out that this is the communication ship. And they're like, this is the communication ship. And Paladin is like, fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> so they get on it. And even though there's like 25 people in the hold waiting to board, only like five of them get on the ship. Right. And they're all our main characters. And blah, 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 shooty, shooty, fight, fight. Blair we, wanders off by himself. We finally see the Kilrathi. We finally see the Kilrathi, which was a choice. A choice was made. Um, I don't know why. History maybe will tell us why, but I don't know. They're, they're cats. They look like cats. They're not even pretend not cats. Right. They're cats in spacesuits. Hairless cats in spacesuits. Humanoid. Humanoid. Uh, anyway, then it turns out <gasps> the NAVCOM AI is on this communication ship. Remember our original directive and how we were supposed to delay the fleet? You remember that? That yeah. part right there? Um, yeah, we've forgotten all about that. And we never actually did that. But through some miracle, we're able to get the – there's just a number on the top of the <laughs> NAVCOM AI. We know the coordinates. <laughs> like – it's not even like a digital screen. It's like a um, digital Timex, like the nine. Yeah, it's like the, um, what What do they call it? It's a, um, it's a like seven, 
what do they call it? Like seven segment display or something? Yeah, it looks like the digital clock that we turned upside down and used as a readout <laughs> in Enemy Mime. It's a digital clock on top and it just has like five numbers <laughs> and they're like, we have the coordinates for the Kilrathi battle fleet. And then they just leave. Do they take the Navcom AI? Do they break it? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they commandeer. Oh, this hopefully, ship. hopefully. But they get the fuel cells they need. And now they know the exact point in space that the Kilrathi battle fleet will appear in the soul system, which is the Earth system. Right. And they're like, okay, we got to get this information to Admiral Tolwyn, who has been racing back to the soul system this entire time because they were 42 hours away. And the diligent was close enough to them to be able to contact. This is relevant information. Because they decide, okay, there's still the Kilrathi battle fleet out there. They've realized this is a decoy. They're coming back. Or this ship has never left, this one big ship that was doing depth charges. We have to get, we have to get something past it and through the jump point so we can talk to Admiral Tolwyn. The only thing small enough is a fighter. But fighters don't have uh, NAVCOM on them. Unless you put a pilgrim in one of them and then they have a NAVCOM, but better. Because yep. they can read electromagnetic force. <laughs> and it allows them to travel through these anomalies in space. And so they decide, they're just like, Blair, you can do it. And Blair's like, what? I've done it once. And they're like, <laughs> the entire fate of billions of people on Earth rests in your hands. <laughs> and he's like. It's not faith. It's genetics. I know. He goes, but I don't have enough faith. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he doesn't have his. He's not wearing his necklace. Right. And Paladin is like, or James Taggart is like. It's, and so you can see very early on in the, the movie. The whole time. <laughs> we see that Blair is wearing this necklace with the the pilgrim cross thing, whatever. And it, it's this like thick metal chain necklace. Yes. That's very visible, even though he has the pendant tucked into his shirt. But also the entire movie you can see the exact same metallic chain around Taggart's neck. Yeah, but it's a big fucking surprise when he pulls it out and he's like, then Boom. you can use mine. And he pulls out the cross <laughs> and hands it to him. And he's like, oh, you're like me, but you hid it. I'm even, not alone. Even when I was being persecuted, you didn't tell anybody you were like me. Even when I came to you for help. <laughs> <laughs> But that's okay. It's fine. Because now that I have this small metallic cross, I am capable of navigating space-time anomalies with <laughs> the, the power, power of my mind. <laughs> All I needed to do, I didn't need to believe in anything else. I only needed to believe in myself. It's like Dumbo's feather. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like Dumbo's feather. And Paladin is like, good, excellent. Take Angel with you. And he's like, oh, oh. Okay, and so they leave. They have the information that they need, the coordinates. They're going to get them to Admiral Tolwyn. But we need this movie to be about 20 minutes longer. Yeah, so, hey, there's a special missile that cloaks and uncloaks, and it's headed towards the Tiger Claw, and the only way to stop it is to literally blow it up, hot by sight. A fighter pilot with a visual lock. And so Angel's like, okay, I'm going to go do that. And so she goes off to do that. And she ends up destroying it. But then it destroys her. It destroys her ship. She ejects. And Blair goes 
over to her pod and he's like, okay, I'll track you back to the tiger claw. And she's like, remember the part where there are billions of people on earth who are in danger of dying if you don't get there? And he's like, oh yeah, right. But you're kind of hot. <laughs> she's like, I am hot, but I need you to go. And so he does with some convincing and he ends up getting through the sp- <laughs> shocker. He gets through the thing with like his no jump problem. drive and a numeric numpad <laughs> and, <sighs> and, and his pilgrim intuition and his little cross thing. And he is followed by one of the Kilrathi fighters. And one of the, this Kilrathi fighter, I don't think it has a name. They just call it like the Kilrathi fighter and it is chasing him. And he manages to get the message to the fleet, which is hiding behind Venus so I guess they got there faster than 40 hours, or they succeeded. Well, I, I think the Admiral and his couple ships were already there, like, in in Seoul. And they got the information about the about Pegasus. No, because they said, we need to travel back to the Seoul system. It's going to take us 42 hours. And then we had a couple no, the, of... It's going to take the fleet... The main fleet for We had a couple of interspersed scenes where we were talking to Admiral Tolwyn, and the guy said, we're traveling at 110%, sir, but oh, we've already okay. lost three ships, two at jump points and one to an engine meltdown. And he goes, then go at 120. So he is with the group that is traveling. That's true, yeah. And they have made it back, and they're hiding behind Venus. So the delay taxi- tactics have worked. Yeah, I guess. Is this the fleet? I don't know. It doesn't. There's the. It's fine. So they they've made it back somehow. In some way, they made it back, and Blair gives them the information for the coordinates, and then he has to do something with this Kilrathi fighter that's on his tail because he doesn't want to tip off the location of the entire fleet because then they'll be engaged in battle instead of defeating the people coming through the jump point. Right. And so he looks over and hey, look, it's Scylla. It's the gravity well that we went through at the very beginning of the of the movie, which means that the diligent was in the soul system when they talked to them because they sent the encrypted message to the diligent so that the diligent could get to the tiger claw. So the diligent could have transmitted the information to Earth. Well, Earth knew Earth's defenses were activated. Uh Whoever's with Tolwyn says that Earth's defenses, like Earth is going to try to defend itself, but there's no ships there right now. Yeah. There's no like battleships there. So I guess the diligent traveled to the Tiger Claw. Because the Tiger Claw was close to. But how Seoul. did the diligent get to the Tiger Claw in less than 40 hours if it was going to take the Kilrathi battle fleet 40 hours? So if the diligent oh, they was in Seoul them. and yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Fine. 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 Makes enough sense. Um, But he remembers that the diligent was almost crushed because it entered the gravity well too fast. And there's a a point of no return, which they keep calling the PNR and they never, they never. Oh, is that what PNR means? Yeah. Point of no return. Uh, They just say PNR. Oh, we're in the PNR zone, but they don't say, nobody at any point is like PNR. Yeah, point of no return. The point of no return. So the point of no return, mass-wise, for a fighter is far, 
farther in to the gravity well than the right because they don't have as fighter. much thrust per mass right. of the ship yeah, as so, a fighter pilot does. So physics apparently now matter again, and um, he flies directly at the gravity well, banks out off to the side. The Kilrathi's stuck in the they're past their point of no return, so they get crushed in the gravity well. And Earth is saved because then they're able to just sit there and shoot the Kilrathi battle fleet as they come through the jump. Because right, because they, they come like through one at a one time. At a time, because they're all, um, they're all jumping to the exact same destination coordinates. Right. And in the meantime, the Tiger Claw ends up fighting that ship that stayed behind to try to flush them out because they go alongside it. <laughs> and like, our missiles won't target and, at know, this range. Paladin is they like, don't need to. <laughs> Paladin is like, all right, arm every missile on that side. And second command, Jurgen is like, um, we're too close. We're not going to be able to aim. Right, he's our like, targeting systems aren't going to He's lock. like, you don't need to aim when they're fucking right next to you. And then they just open up and literally broadside the Kilrathi fighter. Which, why does it let them get alongside it like that? Right. Why didn't it just turn vertical relative <sighs> to it? Again. Anyway. It's because they're trying to go for a naval battle thing. And uh, anyway, they end up getting, so Taggart, okay, Blair ends up getting back to the Tiger Claw somehow. Oh, he says, he goes to the, he's on Admiral Tolwyn's ship. Yeah. And he's talking to Admiral Tolwyn. And they give him the update that the Tiger Claw's okay. And that Paladin went out to look for yeah, he's like, what Rosie, about Devereaux? Not Rosie, but Devereaux, Angel. Angel. Because oh. Angel had ejected, and Matt was like, why is there no transponder on their ejection pods? Like, why Why is it a death sentence for her to sit out there in her ejection pod? Yeah, because the same reason that they were like, Rosie. Rosie. Ro- Rosie. Shit, she's dead. Oh, ah, fuck it, she's gone. Because, eh, whatever. We'll just get another fighter pilot, it's fine. <laughs> So, and they end up saving her. And she's been out there so long, she's like in need of emergency medical attention. It was probably right on the verge of her oxygen running out. Yeah. Because so she... you get like 10 minutes of oxygen in the, in the ejection pod. Right. So they land in the, they're like calling for emergency medical. And they land in the little pod where everybody lands. I don't know what you want to call it. The, <laughs> the fighter bay. The fighter bay. And there's nobody waiting. Clearly, fighter pilot well-being is not a top priority in this world they are an expense they all know they're expendable which is why they're all a little bit right even admiral tolwyn knows like someone on tolwyn's ship relays that they've requested like paladin has requested emergency medical aid yeah but even the the commandant doesn't but they get there and he's like i'm gonna go fetch a medic they're not waiting nobody's waiting yeah (laughs) She survives anyway, despite the total lack of care given. She got better. She got better. She woke up. <laughs> I don't know. She's fine. She saw her love, even though her previous boyfriend had just been killed like months previous prior. That's yeah. fine. He didn't exist. So it's okay. Just move She's on. ready for a rebound guy. She's ready for a rebound guy. Uh, even though they're all still going to die because the war with the Clarathi is still going. Although I guess they destroyed most of their battle fleet, so maybe it'll take longer. Yeah. Now. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. 
I don't know, because did they sequence the Nav- Navcom AI? Are they able to create their own Navcom AI now? Or did they literally just plug it into their own ship? How did they have the proper interface to be able to use the Navcom AI? Oh, why why wasn't way, that encrypted in any it's way? It's the same way the Tiger Claw was able to use the Killerathi fuel cells. Why was the Navcom AI not encrypted in any way? Why were you able to just take it out? It's like It was like a VCR tape. They literally just took it and put it in their own VCR because it all read it exactly the same and it was fine. They just hit play and it worked. There's so many other levels of security that you could put on something like that. But this isn't that movie. So entertainment value for this movie. Hi, I felt entertained. I really, yes. it made me yeah. remember why I thought we should do um, like watch alongs at the beginning because we had so much fucking fun watching this movie. We were, <laughs> we laughed, we argued, we, we had a lot of fun. It was fun to watch. It didn't make a ton of sense, but it was entertaining. It reminded me of Love Bites. Like, yeah, we weren't breaking it's any lighthearted. It's, it's light, it's not supposed to be lighthearted, but it's pretty lighthearted. Um, the most obnoxious part really was the um, Jurgen. I didn't even care so much about the plot being nonsensical. It, the whole pilgrim thing was like, meh, that was tiresome, right? But, that was that was a cheap way to generate conflict, however, intercharacter conflict. If somebody made a movie entirely about a race of people called the pilgrims who could navigate through space by just like feeling, feeling their it. way through a, like space time, I'd watch the shit out of that movie. Absolutely. About a race of humans that have been in space so long they were adapted to space. And interstellar navigation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd watch the shit out of that. Not if it was this movie. Like, not if it was this world. If we just scooped that concept out and plunked it in a better property, I'm here for it. Absolutely. And rewatch score, not high. I haven't watched it since I saw it in the theaters. But I remembered it. I remember watching this. Oh, it must have been. 99. Uh, somewhere in the aughts. <laughs> Way the back in aughts. the aught two, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it was after high school. Uh, but I watched like, I watched up to where they're on the diligent and he pilots through the, through Scylla. Yeah. Um, on instinct. And <laughs> that's as far pad. as I got. <laughs> With the number pad. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the physical number pad. Like it stuck out in my mind because a lot of the other stuff is digital. And it felt maybe it was to like mimic the computer interface. Like when you were playing the computer game. That's possible. It's possible. Uh, it may also have been like we have like a week to fin- finish. <laughs> <laughs> they had like, like three months to do scenes. all this. I have to say, most of the CGI was not terrible until we got to the very end when they were blowing up the Kilrathi ships. Yeah. And then it got, it was like Babylon 5 level CG, which I'm yeah, not like, knocking There's like Babylon an up close CG. shot of the Kilrathi ship yeah. exploding and it's like almost pixelated. Oh, it's bad. Um, the only reason I bring up Babylon 5 there is because Babylon 5 was a television show that was right. off the air by the time this came out, and it had comparable CG graphics, and it was a television show in the early 90s. Yeah. So this was probably because they didn't have time. 
because there are other, I mean, 99 is episode one. Right, you mentioned Star they Wars only had three one. months for post-production. Yeah, Star Wars episode one is 1999, and we had, it was almost exclusively CG. We had Jar Jar Binks, we had all the, in fact, it got knocked for the amount of CG that was used. Right. Um, this was right in our period of like, hey guys, we can use computers for movies. And it's going to look really fucking cool. And everything looked wet. I don't know why, but early CG, they were like, well, if we make it look moist, it will look well. Well, um, the, the work that they did for Lord of the Rings on Gollum yeah. was... Revolutionary. It was revolutionary. Like, they, they pioneered the, the way that you render skin textures. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called subsurface scattering. Yeah. Where you... You have multiple layers that are slightly transparent and whatever. And so you get, like, because that's how skin works. Yeah, but the this first is pre prior to that. This is prior to that. Right. And that's, that's, that's why everything looks wet. Yeah. Because it's just one solid surface. Yeah. With no depth to the skin. No layering. Right. Yeah. That's what's actually really cool. The guy who did Gollum's skin texture worked with the airbrush artist. Yeah, he. I think he was just walking through the. Yeah, the and practical he saw shot. the Boromir, um, the Boromir that's yeah, in the boat. Yeah, they were making the Boromir corpse. Yeah, in the boat, and he and was the guy like, was airbrushing skin texture he was onto like, the. Holy mold. shit! Show me how to do that. And they worked together to figure out how to do that computer to create more depth of the skin on Gollum. Yeah, and that's why Gollum looks so different between Lord of the Rings, right, Fellowship be- of the Rings, because they and did it two between towers. Fellowship and Two Towers. Yeah. So anyway, that's all fascinating, but. Yeah, I mean, this is a nice Wing Commander. It happened. We watched it. I don't think yeah, it... we had a bunch of good I banter. don't think it deserves the skip it. I've seen a lot. There must be a podcast who goes on IMDb and adds themselves to the trivia because the bottom of most of these movies is like, this podcast covered this movie and they said, don't watch it. It's not don't watch it. It's fine. Get a bowl of popcorn. Don't expect a lot out of it. Yeah, sit with a bowl. Watch it with your kids. Shit, our kids would love the... Love this movie. They're not. They're not thinking deeply about these kinds of movies right. yet. They just like action and stuff that blows up. Cats in space would be like perfect. Chef's kiss. Cats in space. They love cats, and we could have a bowl of popcorn. This is a great family night movie. It doesn't challenge you in any way. There's not. There's no real sex. There's no real kissing. There's some implied sexual stuff, but a lot of early Disney movies also have implied sexual yeah. stuff. So it's. I mean, it's fine. It's entertaining. Don't want don't make it anything it isn't and it's a totally watchable movie or you can make it more than it is and you'll never want to watch it again it's really up to you it's like it's exactly what we love there's as much depth here as you want there to be um kind of Mm, (laughs) you can't you can't (laughs) mind a bunch but you can be as angry about it as you want to be or you can just accept it and enjoy it like love bites this is is it a great movie no is it fucking funny yes do i still think about sergeant farfaloni sometimes and then (laughs) giggle to myself absolutely we get in this trap and i know i stand on this soapbox so often you guys probably have a copy of it at home but we get in this trap where everything has to be so revolutionary and so groundbreaking and so new and so great every movie has to be a blockbuster and you end up in this disappointment like this continuous state of disappointment where nothing ever lives up to your standards uh and i get it it's fine to have standards it's fine to have like to desire that kind of movie but you just realize that not every movie is going to be that some movies are simply entertaining and that that's okay it's fine it's like a beach read not every book is 
4,500 pages long with size 8 font and 25 characters. Some books are just read them in a couple of days and done. You don't ever think, you maybe think about them again like, oh, that was entertaining. I think I'll read that next time I go to the beach too. And that's fine. It's okay. There's room for everything. Yep. Yeah, you need some contrast. Does this make you want to play the video games? Uh, no. Oh. No, I was never really into the, like, space fighter video games. Interesting trivia. The voice of Freddie Prin- of Blair's computer is credited as a question mark, but it's Mark Hamill. Because he did the voice acting for the video games, right? Yeah, he did some of the video games. He did characters in the video games. And so they had him be the computer for Blair's ship, which I don't know why they didn't credit him as Mark Hamill. Maybe because they were trying to really disassociate themselves from Star Wars. Right, yeah, that would have that would have muddied the water. And they were probably bit. like, Mark, are you cool with this? He probably came in and read for like an hour because I think it has like four lines. Right. And they were he was like, Yeah, it's fine. Grab me a cup of coffee. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll leave it there. It was a good summary. Mm-hmm. Right about the hour and a half mark. Yeah. So remember. Sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.